Friends, we are in our Lent series called Full Circle, and we have been talking about the Old Testament covenants and putting those into conversation with the Easter story. And so uh, we started our first three weeks of discussions with a whole bunch of stories about Bible characters, right? Many of these we've heard maybe our whole lives if you've been around, but if not, I'd like to catch you up to speed, (laughs) Maybe it's the first time you've heard about anything in the Bible. Now, I want you to understand, there was the story of Adam and Eve, right, in the garden. And we talked about how humanity, since the very beginning, broke a promise, but it was because of sin. And, and, and how we, in spite of all of that, how God continued to extend grace. Uh, God did, after all, walk right out of the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And, 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 you know, we also talked about how apples don't fall far from the tree, right? We were, there was a story of Cain and Abel, uh, so pun was intended there. And this was the story of the first known murder <laughs> that ever took place over offerings that were made to God. And, and we looked at the story of Noah, whose family experienced a recreation, right, in the ark. We saw how God overcame the destruction of, uh, of what humans had sowed. And thus, uh, reaped, right? We talked about that. And how God used the earth as, as a stage upon which to tell the story of the redemption of Jesus Christ. That's exciting news. There's that messianic covenant that's coming. I told you, it's messy, though. And so last week, we talked about uh, Pastor Abraham, I mean, uh, with Pastor Scott about Abraham and Sarah. And how despite their shortcomings, God establishes through them the seeds to fill the earth with the children of God. And how it established a a holy bloodline, right, through that covenant. And that that covenant was eternal. That's not going to be like our covenant today. So today, we're going to take a turn from these stories about Bible characters. But before we launch into that, let me catch you up to speed from where we left off. There was uh, Sarah and Abraham, and they die. And, and then there's the story of Isaac and Jacob, and then Jacob and Laban and Rachel, right? And then there's this uh, famous scene, some of you might know of, where Jacob wrestles with God. And then there's these stories of Esau and Joseph and his brothers. And we start to become familiar with this place called Egypt and this mean dude named Pharaoh. (laughs) And then Jacob dies, followed by Joseph. And the Israelites become extremely oppressed. So that's where we kind of wake up with our text today. Because Pharaoh has ordered the death of Israelite children... And remember that thing that we talked about in Noah where you reap what you sow? Where humans had, had uh, sowed destruction and therefore they reaped it in the flood? Well, uh, ultimately, this is going to cost Pharaoh his son, right? And so Moses is born, hidden in a basket, floated down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter gets Moses out of the river. And so he grows up and he has a conversation with God who takes the form of a burning bush. Now, that's a lot to digest. So if you haven't been in that word, I want you to go back and just like reclaim all of the goodness of that scripture because it's rich in detail and there's a lot to learn from there. But today, we talk about Moses, this guy who who very reluctantly, right, kind of takes his charge from God. And through God's power alone, delivers these Israelites through this series of plagues that that God 
has on this land and sees the enemy uh, uh, of, of Israel destroyed in the middle of the sea that we just sing about. You, you, you split the sea so I could walk right through it, right? But yes, that happened, but it destroys a whole bunch of enemies of Israel. And then after about three months in the desert after that event, they arrive at Mount Sinai, and God makes an appearance in a dense cloud. Now, let me set the scene for you with this. That's where we'll pick up. And we're going to read Exodus 19. I'm going to talk to you about this moment that God has with these people. And so I'm going to read Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. I'll be reading from the message version. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, open there. As Moses went up to meet God, God called down to him from the mountain. Speak to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel, you have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to me. If you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, out of all peoples, you'll be my special treasure. The whole earth is mine to choose from, but you're special a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. This is word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so this is also where our discussion about covenants takes a turn. A turn from these biblical characters to a conversation about something that we don't often like to converse about, the law. <laughs> now, if you listen carefully to the scriptures that, that you just read, you heard God say that Israel needs to listen obediently and keep God's covenant as a standard. So we had the stage set, we had the seeds, and now we have a standard. And they will receive... Favor as God's treasured holy nation if they'll do this. But friends, let me tell you, it's going to prove a lot harder than it appears. So as we turn uh, from this conversation about biblical characters to a conversation about the law, I want to pose a couple of issues that we tend to have as, as human beings with the law, right? With the law. And, and, and it's, print, it's presented, these, these laws, throughout the first five books of the Bibles. But we have two issues. First, we sometimes ignore the law altogether, right? Like I do this when I'm speeding in my car sometimes. I'm in a hurry to get somewhere. I think I just need to, like, avoid or that happens. Does anybody else do that? Like, come on. This is church. God sees you. God knows. We argue uh, sometimes from, from Paul's writing in the New Testament that, well, Christ frees us from the curse of the law. Well, Christ fulfills the law, yes, doesn't necessarily free us, right, from the law. Doesn't necessarily mean that. But second, the thing that happens with us is we like to pick and choose <laughs> the law, Right? We like some laws better than the others. Like, like for instance, I love uh, being here and loving all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that's a cool law. Love others, you know, like, that's a really nice law. I like that. But now that one about, like, wearing two colors of red, thread, 
Now that's, that's not one that I embrace that much. Like I've worn a couple of different colors in red. Rachel's gotten on to me for that, for, but I've done it. And just a few uh, verses later, that, that, that scripture appears that you're not supposed to do that. But then I also adore that one where like, you can't steal my stuff, Brad. <laughs> that would be bad. I like that law. So to help us wrap our brains, though, around this very special covenant, the Mosaic Covenant is what it's called, I want you to actually think about a mosaic, right? Anybody know what a mosaic is? It's like, it's like where you take a whole bunch of different pieces, which in our case is going to be a whole bunch of different laws, right? And you put them together and they make a bigger thing, a bigger picture, to make one big kind of beautiful design. And I want to challenge you to kind of accept these laws that we're going to talk about in that way, that they're kind of all these pieces that come together and make one more bigger, beautiful thing. When we talk about the law, I want you to think about the whole of the law. The ways in which countries are defined are sometimes by like rivers, right? Uh, uh, borders. Sometimes uh, imaginary lines. Like I, I once stood like uh, in a place where I thought one foot was in Texas and one foot was in Louisiana. Anybody ever taken that picture? <laughs> so that's, uh, uh, that's one way that we do that. But, but really what I think the law is getting at is kind of defining uh, who we are as people, Right? And that's what we need to think about when we think about these biblical laws, is who you are as God's chosen people. For instance, a law that's kind of ridiculous in our current land, like, and I don't know if about this, about Texas, is that if you, uh, uh, you're actually the Encyclopedia Britannica is banned, is banned from Texas. You know why? Because it has a, a formula in it for making beer at home. <laughs> I'm like, what Texan is against that? <laughs> I'm not sure why. But another law that's kind of weird, and I like to use this one to get out of my housework, uh, okay, at home with Rachel, is, is like it is against the law to feather dust in a public building in Texas. Did you know that? So I can just tell her, honey, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't dust. It's against the law. <laughs> And then, hold on to your hat, because this is another crazy law here. It is actually against the law to shoot a buffalo on the second floor of a hotel. I swear to you, that is a real law. Look it up. I know everybody's on their phone right now. Okay, is that a law? So we tend to think mostly of these individual laws, right? These little pieces, right? Otherwise, we, we really kind of tend not to think about them at all. <laughs> Right? We kind of know what our laws are, and they're just kind of part of us. They're kind of part of who we are. But most of the time, we are part of a nation, right? A nation of laws. It's kind of woven into who we are. Our laws here in America are very different. Our laws sometimes as Texans are very different from some other state. And, and, and law in the Bible is just like the same kind of mosaic. And listen, it's not just like the Ten Commandments, which we'll look at, but there's like a covenant code, and there's like a, a, a laws about the building of the tabernacle, and there's like a, a legal codes and a holiness code and all these different things. And the whole uh, 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 thing is just uh, crazy. And, and some of these laws contradict each other in the Bible because we're like, hey, doesn't that say the exact opposite of what the... Uh -huh. 
Yeah, and we also have that very same thing that happens here, and that's what happens in the tapestry of life, right? I mean, time happens, culture evolves, things happen, and that's all fine and good unless, unless you're one of us and we're trying to live by them, right? Then it gets a little harder. Now, Mosaic Law or Sinaiic Law, some people might call it, It's trying to really define who we are in relation to God. Who we are in relation to God. And so those various laws that I mentioned to you, uh, though they say different things, and sometimes they say those different things at the same time, they provide the relationship that we have with God with a certain depth and a realism and a texture than, than what you would get if you were just trying to like follow some rigid code. Hey, you're a robot. Let me download my law and you do what, you know, you know, there's a depth to this. Another funny thing is, is, is how we uh, misunderstand the law. There's, there, there's this uh, phrase uh, called law and covenant. Now, Lutherans and, and Calvinists are big on covenant. And, and listen, we love covenant too. We've we got a whole series about it, right? We love covenant. We Christians love to throw around the, the words, we're entering into a covenant together, a covenant. And, and sometimes we, we misuse that word as kind of like join the club, yeah? And we also like to ask these questions sometimes, like, like have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? We love covenant. We love that. You hear that a lot. But here's the problem. We can't love the covenant and hate the law. We can't love the covenant and hate the law. Do you hear that? Friends, law and covenant, they aren't, they aren't just mutually exclusive from one another. Rather, they are very connected. They're very interrelated. They are very interdependent with each other. Now, there, there is a kind of Old Testament hierarchy that are in these stories, and, and it works like this. It's, it's called a vassal treaty, V-A-S-S-A-L, if you want to look it up, vassal treaty. And it works like this, King A and King B, they get into a war and they clash, right? And King A overcomes King B. And then King B is, is set up as like a puppet state in the kingdom, Right? where A rules over, and B has a debt to King A. A debt is owed, which usually means like paying taxes, right? That's how that lives out. King A is is what the Old Testament called a suzerain. And, And this type of treaty provides the most fundamental metaphor for how human beings are in relationship with God. There are others, but this is the one that really describes best how humans are in relationship to God. Every book of the Bible confirms that. And, and Paul wrote, if you say in your heart that Jesus is Lord, if you say in your heart that Jesus is Lord, if you say in your heart that Jesus is suzerain, then you are saved. He's not only king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We sing this in our songs, right, in our music. We celebrate that. But if you don't understand this, if, if we don't take the time to really let that sink in, then we get into trouble theologically. If you want to understand the, the, the full circle of the covenant, 
then you cannot just think of God as like loving parent child. We like to think of God, and that's true about God for sure. But we also have to love the idea of something beyond just being adopted into the family of God. We have to love the idea that there are some roles that come with a ruler. Amen? Amen? Isn't that true? There's rules that come with a ruler. Now, see, our problems begin when we do to God what we've often done with our parents, like we leave the castle to become kings of our own castle. The problem with covenant Christians that just embrace that one thing is that we forget that our castles are located in God's kingdom. <laughs> and so there's a ruler and some rules. And we're just King B's living under King A's laws. And they are this in Exodus 20. I'll be starting with verse 1. God spoke these words. Now, I want to talk to you, first of all, because you'll recognize these as they come up. They're the Ten Commandments. But the, the Hebrew drill down on that word commandment is principles. Okay? Principles. The actual Hebrew is principles. Therefore, these are principles that say kind of what we need to do. If you understand them, you'll get the gist of the rest of the laws. Ten things. The first four about our relationship with God. The last or six are about the relationship with others. And remember, before I start reading, this happens in the context of Mount Sinai. And so this is not the prophet Jesus sitting and talking sweetly and you're at the feet. Mm -mm. This is a big giant cloud, right? big giant cloud and it's thundering and it's lightning and there's a perimeter set and there's reverence for God and if anybody uh, goes beyond that perimeter they die so there's a real fear of the Lord here and here's what the voice says I am God your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of a life of slavery no other gods only me They're the rule, number one, from the ruler. No other gods. The relationship with God, therefore, is going to determine every single other relationship is what that word means. <laughs> every other relationship we have. And then God goes on. No carved gods of any size, shape, or form, or anything, whatever, whether are things that fly or walk or swim. Don't bow down to them and don't serve them because I am God, your God, and I am a most jealous God, punishing the children for any sins their parents pass on to them to the third and, yes, even to the fourth generation of those who hate me. But I'm unswervingly loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments, my principles. Now, this isn't only about worshiping other gods, right? I mean, this is saying, hey, hey, don't make a statue. <laughs> don't make a statue, a dead statue, like a man with a bird head or like a woman, you know, with a cow head or an ibis or, or, or a crocodile. Because statues don't change. <laughs> God is saying, I'm a changing God. I'm a changing God, a living God. 
Now, that's, that's not how we have idols necessarily in 2018, right? We kind of do this thing where we do it in our mind, right? A way of viewing God that never changes. We've seen that, right? We've seen that so many times where somebody's view of God is just concrete and it never changes. And it's just like you might as well put a statue where they stand. We've all been that, right? That's not, what, that's not what God's saying. God's saying don't do that because I'm a changing God. We need to get comfortable with a God that's not, that's not fully defined. That's not fully defined. When we get so concrete in our understanding about God, we get ourselves into some trouble. We really do. Another thing, just like we don't like the law, we also, uh, from this commandment, don't like the idea of a jealous God. <laughs> right? You ever been jealous in a relationship before? See your partner at a cocktail party hanging out and talking to someone else? You kind of get that jealous feeling. But in certain types... In certain moments with God, that's the way it works. God is like this with us sometimes. But it's based on how important we are to God. It's based on the love that God has for us. And God's serious about it. God says, I'm, I'm going to punish that to the third or fourth generations. But friends, God extends grace and says, I'm going to reward it to the thousandth. Look at that. There's always love with God. Always. Always. I was expecting grace, and there it was. Unless we push relentlessly, and, and that sometimes happens. It can happen. But the default with God is love. Verse 7, no using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of God's name. This does not mean like I smack my thumb with the hammer when I'm building something. That's not what it means. It's like, hey, don't use my name to win an argument. That's a silly, profane way to use my name. And, and how many arguments have we had where we've done just that? Come on, church. Are you awake? It happens, right? We've seen it. We use God's name to win a, an argument instead of win people to God. It happens. God says, don't use my name like that. That's the wrongful use of my name. And then God goes on to say this. Observe the Sabbath to keep it holy. Work six days and do everything you need to do. But the seventh day is Sabbath to God, your God. Don't do any work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your maid, nor your animals, not even the foreign guest visiting in your town. For in six days God made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. He rested on the seventh. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath day set apart as a holy day. It's a neat law. <laughs> it's a neat law because it kind of bridges the laws that pertain to our relationship with God to our relationship with others. It is this law that ties heaven and earth into the perfect whole. It really kind of defines everything else. It sets us apart. 
much more important, this law, than what we give it. When you go to a party, what are the first things that you want to know about the people you meet? Who are you, right? Like, what is your name? Who are you? And, and what do you do, right? <laughs> this law helps define us as Christians or as the children of God. And then the rest of the Mosaic law gets at how we are to live with others. Honor your father and mother so that you'll live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. Now, what's the very first thing that you do when you're born? You open your eyes and you look at your parent. <laughs> and you know that that parent is taking care of you, right? And, and is soothing you and is a source of provision for you and food. And, and so it's kind of a lot like that first law that we talked about, only it's about our relationship now to each other. It's an important, an important law. And then there's some that are very self-explanatory, so I'm not going to go into each, but there's no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor. And when it says that, it means like giving a false testimony, like in a court. No lusting after your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey. Don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. We call this coveting, right? And that's a real churchy word. So the drill down on that is obsession. Don't obsess over anything because it'll start determining how you live. <laughs> that's why. Remember now the punishment that comes from these things. Often, Often the punishment comes in the form of the violation, the reaping what we sow conversation. Remember the people in the story of Noah and the water? <laughs> then think about Pharaoh and what happens to him. And then the text finishes with this. All the people experienced the thunder and lightning and trumpet blast of the smoking mountain were afraid. They pulled back and stood at a distance, and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. Because we don't like the law. And Moses spoke to the people and said this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you and instill a deep reverent awe within you so that you won't sin. Crosswalk, we need to think about how we're relating to God, how we relate to others. We all have preconceived notions about what it means to be in a relationship with God, in a relationship with others. But these, these principles, these principles are foundational posts. We don't have to despise them or be afraid. But these principles are also what set us apart. 
They identify us as children of the one triune God. Therefore, the law is not God trying to establish a relationship with us. That's already there. The law is not about God's rules as as a loving father of the house. The law is about defining our relationship with God and others. The law is to set us apart as a kingdom. This law was a temporary law, not an everlasting law like the other covenants. And Jesus said, can boil it down even tighter than that. Love God and love others. And all those prophets and all those prophets and all those laws, all of that hangs on it. All of it. So now I need to ask you, this is what we need to really have the Spirit search us for. Are we just wanting a Savior? Just wanting a loving parent? (laughs) Just wanting that forgiveness for our sins? Because that's available for sure. Don't don't make any mistake about that. I, I want you to know that that's absolutely part of who God is. But do you want a king? Do you want a king? Because that's the difference between what you're doing right now and you walking out of here today. The two things are very different. (laughs) Because one will change you. It'll change the behavior. One will cover your behavior, wash you clean, make you white as snow, and you can walk out of here smelling great. But the other one will transform you. Do you want a savior or do you want a king? So that when you walk out that door and you think about what you're doing, I'm at work and I'm I'm doing something that I know isn't right. I shouldn't be taking the money. I shouldn't be doing the thing. I shouldn't be coveting my neighbor's stuff. So I'm going to subject it to the power of Jesus Christ and make Christ my king over it. And it's going to change me, and it's going to change how I behave, and it's going to change how I relate to God and how I relate to others, and I'm going to be different. That's a big difference between Jesus is my king and Jesus is my savior. But the good news, the great news, is that we get to have both. We don't have to be afraid of the law. We have a debt that we owe. And God knew it and gave us Jesus Christ. To be a savior, yes, but to also rule our hearts, rule our lives, rule our mouths, rule our actions and our decisions to rule it all. We don't have to be afraid of the rules of the ruler. We don't. That's not the point. We would miss the point of the covenant. Remember, it's always love. Jesus said, love God, love others, and all those prophets and laws hang on it. Amen.
Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your law. Thank you for calling us to a place where you speak to us personally, where you develop a rich mosaic of lives lived out and experiences lived out on this planet that evolve and change. Thank you that you're not just some rock or stone or piece of wood or or carved out of one of your creations, but that you created all of those things and that you are very vibrant and very alive. God, search us. If we're hating that you have law, ask us deeply, why? Why do we feel that? Show us, Lord, how to love your law, how to embrace you, how to come before you reverent, and how to make you ruler over us. Show us how, yes, your son saved us when he climbed upon the cross at Calvary, but show us, God, how he can be our loving king who can keep us from even going there who if we'll just let him, will take control of our hearts and our mouths and how he can be magnified and made bigger within us if we'll just get rid of our own insecurities and our own fear. And God, for those places where we struggle today, for those places where we are not following these commandments, these beautiful commandments designed to set us apart as your children. As part of our inheritance to an eternity with you. God, please search us and overcome. Only you can. Help us to love you. Help us to love your law. Help us to embrace your law right alongside the covenant. And God, most of all, help us to love you and to love others because the entire thing hangs on it. Thank you for this church. What a beautiful place to gather and come together, God. To be set apart as a nation who goes back out of these doors transformed for your glory and for your honor. Help us, God. We're reverent before you. Our posture is right before you, God. Thank you for the love, the mercy, the grace that you extend us time after time. May this goodness of yours be paid forth from generation to generation across this campus, across this city, across this nation and our world. In Jesus' name, amen.